Hey guys, my name is Halim Sa. I serve as one of the pastors and elders here. It's good to be with you guys today. We're in our uh, third week of a four-week series, uh, what we're calling Gospel And. We've been looking at how the gospel addresses everything, everything. We've been looking at how the gospel doesn't just deal with eternal events, but it also deals with our everyday events. And we're only looking at four topics explicitly, but what we're trying to do through the series is is set up the framework for how the gospel ought to be the lens through which we view everything, the avenue through which we do anything. So, so far we've looked at how the gospel addresses depression. In the last week, Matt gave us a good word on how the gospel addresses sex. And uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed last week. Trust that there was a lot of covenant renewing and climbing of trees going on. Uh, If you don't know what I'm talking about, you can go listen to the podcast. Um, Hope you enjoyed last week because this week you may not enjoy as much because we're going to be talking about how the gospel addresses money. How the gospel addresses money. In preparation for this sermon, I spent hours looking at what the Bible has to say about money, and it was not fun. It's not fun. It crushed me. It convicted me. It really showed me how much I do love money and all the things that it could buy me. And so this week, Angela and I made changes in our finances and went into the bank account and changed our amounts of automatic giving. And just to invite you into how messed up I am, I make these changes and I'm going to bed and and as I'm falling asleep, I'm like, maybe I shouldn't have done that. Maybe I should go back and change it again. And so trust me when I say I'm preaching to myself today. I'm preaching to myself as well. And, and, and my prayer for myself and my family and our church has been this, that God would change our generosity to reflect more closely his generosity in giving us his son. That God would make our generosity as a church look more closely like his generosity in giving us his gospel, all right? And so first, what is the gospel? We gotta ask ourselves that again because we're not just talking about money today, we're talking about how the gospel addresses money. And so what is the gospel? Well, the gospel, first of all, is good news. It's news. It's like the news that you watch on TV. Something actually happened in human history. Well, what happened? Well, Jesus, the Son of God, he was born. He was born into this world 2,000 years ago. And for 33 years, he lived a perfect life of fulfilling every righteous requirement of the law that you and I failed to keep. Jesus was born, he lived a perfect and sinless life. That actually happened. That actually happened. And then at just the right time, while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. At a place called Calvary, on a hill called Golgotha, Jesus died on the cross to be the once and for all perfect sacrifice for the sins of his people. Jesus died. That actually happened. And then on the three days later, the Spirit of God raised Jesus from the dead. Jesus rose from the dead. Death couldn't hold him anymore. Jesus rose from the dead. That actually happened. And so in the gospel, what we see is 
the life that Jesus lived, the death that he died, and his resurrection. These are the major factual, historic components of the gospel. And most of us in here, if not all of us, would say, yes, I believe that. I believe in those truths of the gospel. It's important to me, and I try to live in light of those truths. But let me ask you a question, church. Is there anything in this world that could cause you to give up the gospel? Is there anything in this world that could cause you to give up what you believe about the gospel? In other words, is there anything in this world that your heart desires so much that you would be willing to take the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, and the resurrection of Jesus and trade it in and exchange it away? Well, the story of Judas is the most famous story that we know of this happening, right? Judas was one of the 12 disciples. He lived and and he experienced and he saw the life of Jesus lived out. Right? Judas was there when Jesus preached as one with authority. Judas was there when Jesus healed the lame. He caused the lame to walk. He caused the blind to see. He caused the deaf to hear once again and speak. Judas was there. Judas was there when Jesus raised people from the dead. Judas was there. But what did he do? When he came down to it, Judas was willing to take the life of Jesus the perfect life that he lived, and exchange it away, trade it in. For what? For money, for 30 pieces of silver. And church, let's not fool ourselves into thinking that we're better than that. Let's not quickly get to a place where we're like, well, I could never do what Judas did. That's just awful. How could he ever do that? I could never do that. Let's not immediately discount this story because there are many who walk the path of Judas, right? There are many who by all external evidence seemed like they believed but since walked away. It's a story that's all too common, right, church? I was visiting a church in Israel, and they had these paintings of of the 12 disciples. Each disciple had a portrait of them, and each portrait had this distinguished, noble look about them. You know, they all look like, you know, like this. (laughs) So I'm going through each one, I'm looking at it, and then when you get to Judas, and he looks like the Wicked Witch of the West, you know, he's like, that's, that's his portrait of him. But is that true? Is that true? Is that what he looked like? When Jesus got his voice together around the table, and he said, hey guys, I want you to know that one of you is going to betray me. Did his disciples immediately say, ooh, ooh, I know who it is, it's Judas. He always got that look on his face. I knew it was you, Judas, up to no good. Is that what the disciples said? No. They, they looked around at each other, and they asked, Jesus, who is it? Who is it going to be? They didn't know. They didn't know because Judas, by all external evidence, looked like, acted like, spoke like all the rest of the disciples. But when it came down to it, He was willing to take the life of Jesus and trade it away for money, right? Some of us may be thinking, well, that's because the disciples really weren't changed until they experienced the death and resurrection of Jesus, 
right? As amazing as the life of Jesus was, it's not until the death and resurrection of Jesus that the disciples were completely changed. Let's look at Matthew chapter 28, starting with verse 1. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell the disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. So if you guys remember, these guards are stationed at Jesus' tomb at the request of the chief priests and the Pharisees who were afraid that Jesus' disciples would come and steal Jesus' body and tell everyone that Jesus had risen from the dead, right? Just as Jesus foretold. And so these guards are there guarding the tomb. And then the Marys come. And they come and it says that the earth shook, right? And the angel of God appeared in great light. And the angel spoke, says, do not be afraid, for I know that you came seeking Jesus who was crucified, but he's not here. He's risen. I want you to think about this. If anybody saw Jesus rise from the dead and walk through the stone, who was it? It was these guards. Think about that. If anybody saw with their own physical eyes Jesus get up out of his grave and walk through the walls, it was these guards. But even if for some reason they didn't, what did they at least see? What did they at least see? They saw the angel of God appear in great light as the earth was shaking They saw the angel of God with their eyes, and they heard the angel's testimony that this Jesus had risen from the dead. And I want you to think about the person in your life that seems to have the hardest heart, the person in your life that seems most against believing in Jesus. What if the angel of God appeared and told them, this Jesus, he's true, he's real, he died on the cross and he rose again. What do you think would happen? Well, in the very next section of scripture, we're told that these men went to the chief priests and told them all that had taken place, all that they saw and heard, starting in verse 11. While they were going, behold, some of the guards went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. These guards, knowing what they knew, Seeing what they saw, hearing what they heard, even though they knew 
Jesus had risen from the dead, they were willing to trade it away. They were willing to exchange it. They were willing to tell another story. For what? For a sufficient sum of money, the Bible says. The scary thing is many of us in here are chasing that sufficient sum of money. What if it was promised to you? What would you be willing to give up in order to get it? And so do you see what the Bible is showing us? It's showing us something quite scary. In the gospel we have the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. These are the major workings of the gospel. Apart from the life of Jesus, we have no gospel. Apart from the death of Jesus, we have no gospel. Apart from the resurrection of Jesus, we have no gospel. But as weighty and as critical as these truths are, what God is showing us is the inclination of the human heart to throw it all out the window. Our willingness to trade it and exchange it away for what? For money. For money. Now, are you guys getting a sense of why Jesus spoke about money so much? Why he spoke about money more than about faith, more than prayer, more than the topics of heaven and hell combined, Jesus spoke about money. In fact, about 15% of all that Jesus ever spoke about, it was about money, right? But what is it about money that makes it so dangerous? Is it that we just like green pieces of paper? Is it that we just like shiny coins? What is it about money that causes us to love it? Because money promises to give us everything that our hearts desire. Anything and everything that our hearts desire, money promises to give to us. Money asks, does your heart want security, right? And if you feel that, you're uncertain about what tomorrow may bring, you just, you're scared, you want to feel secure, money asks you, hey, do you want to feel secure? Well, it says, get as much of me as possible and stick as much of me as in the bank as possible, and then I want you to log on to your computer and just look at that number. Just, just look at it. And you'll feel secure. No matter, no matter what tomorrow may bring, just look at the number. And you'll feel secure. Money asks, does your heart want power? Do you want to feel powerful? Money says, I will buy for you. I will purchase for you all the signals that you want. Well, what do I mean by that? Oh, power people are always wanting to send out signals. With the house that they live in, you're sending out a signal. With the car that you drive, you're sending out a signal. Uh, two pairs of pants, nearly the same, except one has a logo. And you need that logo to send out your signal. And so you're willing to pay the $100 extra. With the type of laptop you use and the laptop case... With the type of phone that you have and the phone case, you're sending out signals. Signals that say, you know what kind of man I am. You know what kind of woman I am. And so money promises to purchase for you all the signals that you would ever want. Money asks, does your heart want comfort? I'm a comfort guy. Why do I love money? Because money can buy me fried chicken, okay? <laughs> 
because money can buy me a big fat HD screen TV, because money can buy me a soft leather chair, so that as I'm watching my college football on my big screen TV, my eyes don't have to strain so that as I'm sitting in my soft leather chair, I don't accidentally pull a hamstring, so that as grease is running down the side of my face, I could think about how comfortable I am. <laughs> Money promises me those things. Money asks, does your heart want approval? Now, approval people are like, well, I don't, I don't love money. I'm really generous with my money. Don't you? I bet you don't know how generous I am. I tip 22% at restaurants, even if waiters don't give me a refill, a single refill. 22% every time. Don't you know how much I, I give and, and, and how much money I spend on people's gifts? Don't you know that I support 10 different missionaries? I want you to be honest. I just told you I like money because I, I, I like fried chicken, okay? So you can be honest too. Um, the reason that you give money, isn't it because you just want those people to like you? At least in part. You give because you want those people to like you. And so that's the danger of money. It promised to give us what we really desire in our hearts. In other words, we love money because we love these idols of comfort, approval, control, power. And so Jesus doesn't treat money as a harmless, benign thing because money has a mastering effect, a consuming effect. That's why none of us in the room, if offered $1,000, you wouldn't say, oh, thank you, I have plenty. Why? Because there's an insatiable desire for it in our hearts. Money is a power. It's a master that desires exclusive worship and servanthood. And so when God commands us to give, it's not because he wants your money. It's because he wants your heart. When God commands us to be generous, it's not because he wants to take things from you. It's because he wants to give you himself. When God commands that we don't live on the fringe of what we could afford, but to limit our lifestyle so that we could give and we could give more, it's not because he's trying to take money out of your pockets. It's because he's trying to take idols out of your heart. When God commands us to give, it ought to be both, at the same time, the hardest thing in the world and the easiest thing in the world. The hardest thing in the world because you've got to give up these idols. You have to pull them out. But the easiest thing in the world because you're giving to the one who's giving you everything. Right? Both the hardest and the easiest. All right, so your question may be, all right, I get it. Well, how much exactly does God want me to give? Heard, the, heard about this tithing thing, it's 10%, right? Where is that? Before or after taxes. So if that is our line of questioning, don't you feel it? We're missing the point. And we'll get to why we're missing the point later, but because tithing is such a big question that everyone has, I'll go ahead and address it. Tithing is a command that God gave his people in the Old Testament to offer a tenth of all that God would give them back to himself. Right? All that God would give you, God says, I want a tenth back. Well, what's the point of that? Why doesn't God just say, well, I would have given you this much, but I'm going to give you 90% of that, and then you just keep it all. Why not do it that way? It would be much easier, right? Everything came from him in the first place, so why ask a tenth for it back? So that we would know it all came from him. That's the point. 
so that we would know it all came from him. God knows. God knows everything we have came from him. But when we give a tenth back, we're saying we know that it all came from him. And so the tithing command simply put is this. Do you believe that your income and everything that you have, you have because he gave it to you? Do you believe that? Whether you tithe or not determines whether you believe that or not. All right? And so in Malachi 3, 8 through 10, it says, Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you in your tithes and contributions? You are cursed with the curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open up the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no end. What God tells his people in the Old Testament book of Malachi is this. In a very stern but loving way, he's saying, you're robbing me. You're refusing to give me what belongs to me. You're refusing to believe that everything that you have, it's because I gave it to you. You're robbing me. And so he says, put me to the test. I'm not a stingy God whose heart is to take from you. I'm a father who wants to give, right? And so God says, test me. Bring your whole tithe and I'll open up the floodgates of blessings upon your head. But he gives a condition. What's the condition? That we bring the whole tithe. Because he's not a father who will give in negligence, right? Fathers out there, parents, you know what's happening here. I... As a father, my heart is to give as much as I can to my kids. That's my heart. I'm not trying to withhold. I'm not trying to keep back. I do for their good, but my heart is to give my kids anything and everything that they would ever want. Malachi, my son, is into um, Lego Hero Factory. And my heart is to give him every Lego Hero Factory ever produced and made or will be made. That's my heart. I want to give him every single one, you know, Raka XL, Surge, and Ferno, and Stormer. I want to give him every single one. But if after I buy him a few, I see him refusing to share with his little brother Moses and hitting his sister Evie because she messed up the pieces, if I see his heart growing greedy and loving things more than people, it would be negligent of me to keep buying him Lego Hero Factory. But on the other hand, if I hear Moses laughing because his brother's showing him how to put the pieces together, if I see Evie so happy because she's getting to play with her big brother, if I see Malachi giving away his hero factory to his friends that don't have it, what does that make me want to do? Makes me want to get on Amazon, click, 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 right? <laughs> that's, that's the heart of the father that's saying, bring your whole tithe, test me in this. I'm not trying to take things away from you. I'm not trying to withhold from you. And some of you are saying, yeah, but that's the Old Testament, right? Malachi 3, 8 through 10 doesn't apply to us today, does it? No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't? No, it doesn't. The principle that Malachi 3, 8 through 10 is giving us is this. Obey God, give, and then you will be blessed. 
right? Obey God, give, and then you will be blessed. Is that the principle of the New Testament? Obey and then you will be blessed? Ephesians 1.3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. How do we come to receive such a blessing? We received it in Christ. We received it because of the gospel. And how did we receive the gospel? Because we obeyed? Because we gave the right amount that God commanded us to give, therefore God's blessing us? Is that what's happening? No, and so we see in the very next chapter, Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. The Old Testament says, give, and then you will be blessed. The New Testament says, you have been blessed, therefore give. The New Testament says you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because of Jesus, because of the gospel. Therefore, give. Not give so that you can be blessed, but you've been blessed. Therefore, give. And so in light of this great gospel that says God is not withholding anything from you, the Bible says he did not even withhold his son He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? How should we respond to a truth like that? What should our giving look like in light of that truth? Should our giving remain the same as the Old Testament, right? Should we just keep on tithing now because God commanded tithes in the Old Testament? Well, what would that say about the gospel? That it's not anything new. That it's not anything better. It's just the same old thing. Or should we start making arguments about how tithing, that's just an Old Testament thing, and start making arguments about how we should give less? What is that saying about the gospel? We've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, it said. What should our giving look like in light of that? How much should I give? Well, if our questioning still remains, how much should I give, we're still missing the point. The gospel ought to change our question. It should change our question from how much should I give into how much do I dare keep? In light of this great gospel, in light of the fact that I'm blessed with every spiritual blessing, I'm full now, how much do I dare keep? Have you ever asked yourself why God has blessed you so much? I'm not even talking about spiritual things. I'm talking about physical things. You may not feel rich, but the reality is you are. Do you know that if you make over $25,000 a year, you're considered in the top 10% of the world's wealthiest And if you make over $50,000 a year, you're considered in the top 1% of the world's wealthiest. You may not feel rich, right? 
but the hard fact data says you are, you are the world's richest. Why did God give you so much? What does he want, me to, what does he want us to do with all that? Well, just as we talked about last week, that sex is a physical reminder, a physical demonstration and a pointer to the gospel, so is giving. Giving is a physical pointer, a physical demonstration to the gospel, okay? And so we give to missions because the gospel says when Jesus died on the cross, he had people in mind from every tongue, tribe, and nation, The Bible tells us that we are blessed so that we might be a blessing. To whom? To the nations. When God blesses us, he always has the nations in mind. That's why we give to missions. We give to the church because Jesus gave to who? To the church. Jesus gave everything he had for his bride, the church. We give of our first fruits. We bring our tithe into the church because what did God do? He gave his first fruits, his son, to the church. We give to orphan care because we're saying, we're pointing, we're reminding ourselves that while we were, while we were orphans, Jesus came to take us to the Father. We give to the poor and needy because we're pointing to the truths of the gospel that say that when we were poor, Jesus came to meet our needs. When we give not just out of our excess, but when we give to the point that it hurts, when we give out of selling houses and cars and doing without private schools and vacations, we're pointing to the truth of the gospel that says, Jesus, though he was rich, yet for our sake became poor so that we might by his poverty become rich. With our giving, we're pointing to the reality, the truths of the gospel And the question is, what kind of gospel are we pointing to with our giving? I'm afraid that the American church is pointing to a sad gospel. The average American church member gave away 2.58% of their income. 2.58%. And 25% of the average church member gave nothing at all. What kind of gospel is that pointing to? We have to preach a better gospel, right? We have to preach a better gospel. And some of you are saying, but I'm in debt. I'm in college. I have no income. Our giving starts not when we get jobs. Our giving starts when we get saved. Right? You are exempt from giving if God gave you nothing. Don't feel any command of God upon your life to give if you're sitting here thinking, God gave me nothing, absolutely nothing. But if he has given you something, whatever he's given you, right? Food, clothing, car, $20 bill, Whatever he's given you, your strength, your health to serve and work, whatever he's given you, ask God and ask the community of believers around you, how can I be generous with the things that God has given me, right? How can I be generous and give of these things that God has given me so that I could point people to a gospel that is generous, right? And here's the beauty about giving when we feel like we have nothing. 
Mark 12, 41 through 44. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. God doesn't need your money. If he did, right, he would be much happier with the large sums of money, right? But because his desire is not your money, his desire is your heart, he sees the widow giving her penny, and he's more pleased with that. But you know what? We would look at this story, and we would say, this widow, that's, that's very foolish of her. That's very, that's very reckless of her to give the way that she did, to give all that she would have to live on. Isn't that foolish? For some reason, Jesus looked at that. Say, hey, boys, come here, look at this. Look what's happening. Isn't that amazing? Right? She gave out of her poverty because she knew. What did she know? She knew that her treasure was found in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy. She knew. There was once a small band of believers 2,000 years ago. And history would say that they flipped the world upside down. Unbelievers would write about them and say, these, these Christians, they're crazy. They don't care about their money. They sell their possessions to care for their poor, not just their poor, but our poor as well. They're absolutely crazy. Why were they able to do that? Because they knew. Because they knew they had been blessed in Christ because of the gospel. With every spiritual blessing in Christ, they were full. And so they were able to give. And so with their giving, they pointed to an awesome gospel. Church, what if we did it again? Let's do it again. Let's flip the world upside down. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your generosity towards us. That, that word can't even capture it all, Lord. You gave without holding back. You gave us your son. Though he was rich, he became poor for our sake so that we might by his poverty become rich. And so, Father, with our giving, let us remind each other, let us remind ourselves, and let us point unbelievers and the lost to a gospel that says, because Jesus was willing to become poor so that I might become rich, let us be willing to become poor so that, other, so that others may become rich. With our generosity, Lord, change it. Make it look much more like your generosity in giving us your son, giving us your great gospel. In Jesus' name we pray.